meal. And um, first of all, I'd like to tell you that next week's subject is, has been on your screen. If you have trouble reading it, it's um, Gil McGowan, um, third term as uh, president of the Alberta Federation of Labor. And uh, he will be speaking on the impact of the minimum wage and some other changes uh, for the Alberta economy. So uh, that's, uh, that's very interesting. <coughs> Um, so thanks to Shaw TV that cover us and uh, to the other uh, media, um, I'd I'm ready to call back uh, Sir James Graham and we will uh, open it up to questions and the mic is back there, give your name, uh, this is your chance to tease out the mysteries of uh, what James spoke about. Hello. Hey, can you? Hello, James. I can't hear anything. No. Can you hear me now? Okay. Thanks very much, James, for your presentation. Sure, thank uh, you. Uh, big topic for a short time. <laughs> um, my question may be slightly off topic, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, if, if the moderator allows me, he doesn't have a mic, so I can get away with it now. Um, we live in a world of uh, increasing yeah. inequality. Mm -hmm. uh, do you foresee a day in the future when, when everybody will be equal in terms of uh, happiness? We can all maybe all be happy without ever leaving the farm through the use of electronic devices and virtual reality. You, you could possibly be very happy without really having anything? Is that's, that's a great question. It used to be a prayer, and now it's become a question about digital media, right? Where, when will we live in a time when it's uh, an egalitarian time where uh, everything is equal and, and uh, people have equal access and freedom uh, there? And I guess what I was really pointing to in the discussion was just the, the roots of power uh, there uh, disguised as uh, agencies of freedom. There's, uh, technology is often put forward. You often see the word freedom uh, used there. The ads, you see young people uh, finally experiencing uh, freedom. And you notice that the ads aimed at uh, people our ages really don't, you know, the, it's freedom of retirement or it's freedom of this or freedom of that. But uh, it really is very different than the way it's being staged for those people. If you look at um, cell phones, for instance. That's a great example of uh, a kind of liber uh, uh, liberation of, of uh, people who were oppressed in third world countries. Uh, you look at India, uh, the microbanks, uh, between a microloan and a cell phone, you suddenly had a business. You, uh, as a woman, could have a micro business with a loan of $200 and free yourself from having to give your money over to your husband. And so, you know, it, it, there's those uh, very positive sort of social uh, effects that happen from that. But then once again, as we've all seen with being tied to those big uh, companies there, they have packages and you have to buy into certain packages and then they start upping you and then they start making it so pervasive in your life that you really can't say no to your children uh, there. But I will say, I've, I've come to a kind of flip of a little bit about phones uh, with my kids because, uh, you know, I constant battle with uh, phones as a portal. 
And I guess this is the thing that speaks back to privacy, which is, you know, when we started off, uh, we were all living basically under one uh, branch, right? And so uh, then it was a cave and then it was, but it was communal living. There was, there was none of this, a bedroom here and a bedroom there that's incredibly inefficient. And uh, uh, sewers were, uh, and uh, baths, people bathed together, they uh, went to the lavatory together. People had a diff completely different concept of uh, privacy. And then you, if you get down to kind of the Victorian era there uh, with this uh, privacy, and actually going back to the Gutenberg Press was really one of the things that was instrumental in uh, creating that. It was supposed to free up people and really was the sort of catalyst for Protestantism. But uh, what it allowed people to do was bury into themselves, get a closer connection to God through text, learn to read, learn to write uh, there through that, instead of having it come upon high. So it was very uh, leveling. But then I guess the, the problem was you get down to the Victorian era of sitting in a room, reading a book, quiet by yourself. Now a lot of us think of that as, uh, as privacy, but now it's being inverted. You know, People think of that as a kind of social isolationism. Why would you do that? I'm online, I'm looking through my phone, and my phone is a portal to a variety of people who don't have the prejudices that you have because you're in a room reading a tiny little book about something, right? So it really is a mind flip that they have. So even though they look like they're being the, the um, embodiment of private uh, with earphones on, often they're, they have a community that is out there that I have to recognize you know, as a parent. Yeah, thanks. Good question. Bev, <coughs> Bev Mundell Atherstone. <coughs> Sorry, my voice is coming and going from the Chinook. <laughs> I have asthma. Um, we had some good discussions at our table, yeah. of course. One, I have two questions. One is, uh, when Pokemon Go came, up, came out, um, our daughter and her family live in Germany. They had Pikachu in our grandson's bedroom. Yes. And so people were trying to mine oh, Pikachu. No. And she had to get in, in touch with the company to get rid of Pikachu. So that's one question about what is private space. Mm, and the second one relates to what you were just talking about in terms of the conditioning, our conditioning to follow the rules, to behave, to uh, not complain when you know we can't buy tickets online because we have to do whatever they say, uh, uh, allow the cloud access to something. So um, uh, it seems that that is all related to our patriarchal understanding of government. Yep. And perhaps we need a social or electronic revolution to uh, look at how we can go back to being community instead of having a big brother watching. And you and I talked about 1984, we're way beyond that. Sure, yeah, I can speak quickly to that. I was walking down the street reading my email at night with the glow in my face, and a guy shouted, hey, if you're looking for the monster, he's over there. And I went, huh? And he goes, the monster, he's over there. I, oh, Pokemon. I said, no, I'm not, not do, playing Pokemon. I'm, I'm watching my email. He goes, sure you are, right? Because everybody's doing a Pokemon. But this idea of companies that, it's a great example because you know they can digitally send these ghosts through walls. You can't do it. It happened in a triage unit in a hospital. People were trying to get in and actually including the, the, uh, uh, the emergency services that was going on there because people are trying to get these kind of fantasy beasts. 
people were arguing that uh, Pokemon was a really great service because it got kids off the couch and actually walking around, right? But it really is a kind of uh, uh, Hail Mary pass. I mean, you're just saying, well, I can't do anything with my kids, so at least this gets them walking around looking for a fantasy monster there. I don't really think that's progress uh, there. But I guess getting to the second question about oh, this. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. On the first question, my question was about whose space is public space? Yeah. Sure, yeah, whose space is public space? Well, they own your virtual space uh, there, yeah, and uh, they, it's, it's the people who uh, burrow into that. I mean, if you take the example of the pizza parlor that Hillary Clinton supposedly had a pedophile uh, kidnapping uh, base running out of the basement, a guy actually burst into there and fired shots into the ceiling because he was there to try to free the children because of fake news. And this is one of the problems is how do you actually it really comes to the idea of freedom, is how can you be free, how can you have an opinion of yourself and privacy if you don't even know what is real? And uh, I guess in terms of the advocacy there, the, the real problem with digital technologies is it's given us all a voice, but the problem is that we're in the world's largest stadium and we're all shouting, and it's the people that shout louder uh, that get heard, and right now Trump has the microphone, and even worse is that uh, systems that used to be uh, carefully considered like a book that was contextual, uh, that you read through start to finish and it, it was citable, now has become you know, 140 character tweets uh, there for somebody that really has nothing to say. So the problem is it's reduced it down to a binary of, of kind of sound bites uh, that uh, are, are just weapons, right? And so. That, that's the problem is, we have the freedom to talk and we have the freedom to organize, but he has the freedom to uh, lie, and he's the president. Okay. 280 characters now. Okay. Yeah. 280. 280, yes. My name is Graham Greenlee. Hi, Graham. Hi. So how do we protect our privacy? Stay off the internet or get rid of our computers? It's a great question uh, there. It is so pervasive. I mean, I have all of these devices, and I've really tried to lock down things uh, there. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I refused to get into digital banking until, and I was at the bank, and they were trying to for, force this on me. And then uh, I saw them using the world's longest corded phone. And I said, why are you using that? And they said, oh, because we can't do anything digitally. We have to do it through this. So they didn't even trust their own stuff. And they had a four-digit encryption system, which is totally hackable uh, there by today's uh, computing systems. But they did that because they considered that an acceptable risk, because people didn't want to remember six numbers uh, there. So you know they've set up these systems to be easy for us, but the problem is they've also made it easier for others. So coming back to your question about the, the internet, like when I do banking, I now am a digital banker. I now turn off my Wi-Fi and now do it through just my cell phone uh, data there, which is encrypted uh, there. And so I make those transactions. And I, I was against the chip, but now I use the chip because I don't have to put in a number uh, there because the number is, you know, it's visible. And I see some people going one, four, six, two, right? They actually say it out to make sure they got the number right. So everybody in the room got the number right. Uh, so 
you know, it's these systems that they've made simple for us that are hackable, like those smart devices. But I guess really the bigger thing, though, is those companies that have put those things in the first place. Hitler gave radios, right? It allowed people in the country to hear the message that they couldn't get at the rallies. And so uh, these really are just radios uh, there. So the internet, though, I mean, the nice thing is that there are so many of us, it's very difficult for them to figure out uh, who we are personally. In a way, we're just lost in a sea of data, and in a way, they don't care about it. So it's kind of nice, we're like fish, there's kind of safety in numbers uh, there to that degree. Uh, get a good antivirus uh, software, um, uh, you know, uh, don't use Wi-Fi if you can, have an actual cat cable, because people can just pull up next to your house and just extract information from your, uh, your computer. But the big problem is, is that the infrastructure you know, it's, it's kind of like saying, how do we stop cities from becoming car friendly when we're a pedestrian society 200 years ago? Uh, well, you can't because cars are coming and they're going to have streets and they're going to have parking spaces and then they need stoplights and they need this and that and soon it's autonomous vehicles. So those systems are put in place really to suit uh, us in terms of convenience because as, as beings we're always looking for stasis use as little energy as possible to get as much as possible. So they're always trying to say to us, here, you don't have to use energy to do this. It'll take care of everything. So anytime they ever say, this will take care of everything, don't buy it. Okay, next question. Thank you very much for your presentation. Yeah, thank you. Uh, my name is Davey Wiggers. <coughs> you very briefly touched on uh, the topic of ethics. Yes, sure. And digital media. So if I could use the analogy, um, here in Alberta, we're stuck with hundreds and hundreds of abandoned wells. Oh, okay. And I say we, yeah. us, we, yeah. Albertans, the yeah. public, are stuck with having to uh, cap them, um, decommission them, um, make sure that they don't pollute the environment, that sort of thing, and it's costing us a lot of money. Um, Typically, this happens because whatever company uh, owned the well went defunct, or um, really the uh, yeah. um, the um, um, company just uh, depleted its resource. Sure. So we, as the people, now end up uh, paying the price. You're talking about companies, Facebook, Google, mm -hmm. etc., that are mining our data, yep. making extreme amounts of money off of it, but um, wash their hands mm -hmm. when something goes sideways, when a hacker steals I see um, what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so you're just saying, what's going to be the garbage left behind by these guys when they're Who? finished done and done with us? Where's the ethics for these companies that mm. are mining this data mm. that then, what's their responsibility to these people who are uh, victimized uh, by their vulnerabilities, their their digital data vulnerabilities. Yeah, that's a great question. And digital traceability is a two-sided uh, coin. There, you know, one company is arguing um, uh, uh, bitcoins are traceable. We can figure out where they are. Another company is saying no, no, they're anonymous. Uh, there. So part of the problem is in the data. It's so ethereal. Uh, on one level, it can be erased by any organization, or it can be shaped uh, to 
appear to be something there oil wells you see the stuff sitting out there there or you have somebodies recollection of that but in terms of the the kind of wasteland of the digital there ethically a lot of these people they're a moral right and a morality is a big trend right now it's in video games you can kill somebody you don't have to kill somebody right there if somebody comes to try and kill you then you should kill them because they're going to kill you and the company just stands back and washes their hands from that so that a morality has per as penetrated a lot of the digital companies there if we don't do it somebody else is going to do that as well so we better we better figure that stuff out unlike oil wells you know these servers will just change into a completely different system that is going to be so difficult to understand by us that they will need thinking machines in order to know how they operate so I think unfortunately we're going to lose that because they're right on the edge of what they call the singularity there and I just want to distinguish the singularity is the moment that that computers become self-aware and thinking and I don't think that's on the cusp I think the thing is is that it's so complex that they're smarter than us just because we're not as smart as them so it won't be that we will have computers automatically going and creating their own society but we will have that constant process of digital efficiency as things are put into little matrices uh, there so that we can fit into those and so fight the power. Yeah. Uh, Trevor Page. Trevor. Um, how far away are we from getting chips implanted between our thumb and forefinger? I know there are a couple of private companies in Britain where their employees have that although someone at our table claims to have one in his thumb as well. <laughs> but um, are they just for identity? Can you speak a little more about that? I mean, if they're just for identity, maybe easier than getting your passport out. But um, remembering passwords and that kind of thing, where do you see that going sure. into the future? Yeah. Second question, if I may, is could you tell us a little bit more about how blockchain works? Yeah, okay, I'll try. Blockchain's a difficult one. Blockchain, I'll, I'll start with that one first, which is uh, it's just a series of uh, steps and kind of digital signatures that said something happened and this is being recorded uh, there. I, I really can't because that's not my, my field, but uh, this has been the big the big challenge uh, there is actually to say where something started off, where it ended, what were all the steps along the way uh, there, because Bitcoins right now, uh, there is some gap in between that, and so people don't like that. They want to actually have a gold standard that they can refer to and say, this is worth something, I can't just accept the, the virtual uh, there. And uh, coming back to the, the kind of biometric stuff that you've uh, got there in the chip there, I mean, the identifier is pretty simple. You already have them in dogs' ears, uh, right? So you just put that little thing and it's an identifier and they've used them for, I think, about 20 years. Uh, they're just for pets. And so that sort of thing started entering in. It's more, I mean, we've been wearing the chips on our wrist in the form of smartwatches, right? And so it got to the point, I was quite surprised, a little bit shocked to see that they had uh, uh, a connection for a smartwatch that actually 
was able to take blood and tell you what your uh, blood sugar level uh, was. So anything that can actually do an organic sampling and turn that into digital data and send that up to somebody uh, there shows that there is that connection already going through there, but those things, uh, you know, it would make sense to be in. Now in terms of an identifier uh, there, you know, if that's your passport, I would ha hate to have my finger cut off just because somebody wanted my passport, right? And so I, I think there's that uh, problem. You can't go into an MRI because it just rips out, right? So there are problems with having elements put into you. But robotics uh, there, which is one thing I really didn't have time to uh, talk to about, but I think that will be a huge boon for uh, people just because of the exoskeleton. You can see already that they have systems that are holding your weight. And if you think about it, it's really not that strange because we already have uh, systems where we have titanium hip bone replacements. Now they're using digital sintering 3D printers to print the matrix of uh, bone uh, shapes so that your tissues can grow into those for better hip uh, elements combined with titanium uh, there. So they're already doing that kind of uh, kind of cyborgian uh, stuff there. But yeah, I guess at some point it's just going to start uh, becoming more pervasive. But I think that's where people, you know, unless there's a really good reason, people don't like having things stuck in their body and so they'll try to resist. Insurance companies don't either. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sure, yeah, sorry. Yeah, briefer answers. Yeah. Brief answers. Uh, Mary Shillington, we Hi. had a discussion about Facebook. I have consciously not gone on Facebook or Twitter. Somebody else at our, at our table received something from, like photos from Facebook. Now, does that mean that they can be hacked? Uh, they're not sending anything out on Facebook, uh, but they're receiving something. Uh, so that's my question. Yeah. If they have received anything digitally, they can be hacked. Uh, there, there's a channel where something was transferred uh, there, then they can be hacked. I don't have Facebook. The only thing I have is LinkedIn because I feel that I can control that. And it's one of those things that, oh, sorry, sorry, LinkedIn is a uh, social network for businesses uh, there. So I don't put private information uh, onto that. It's about my connections uh, through business uh, there. And I don't mind that level of invasiveness because I have to. Uh, hi, James, and uh, my name is Lance Chong, yeah. and uh, I'm your colleague yeah. at the University <laughs> uh, Department of New Media, and uh, we share the same world of office. Hopefully, you still remember me after I waiting do, the yeah. whole room yeah. for today's fantastic talk. Yeah, yeah, we do, actually. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and uh, I'd like to share something first with the whole room here. Absolutely. and. Uh, I hope you still remember, four years ago, shortly after Snowden's disclosure, Edward Snowden's disclosure, I noticed your phone camera has been covered by a sticker. Oh yeah. And same was mine. Yeah. And that was like a secret handshake. We, I know, I had a <laughs> comrade in my department. <laughs> okay. No, that's um, great. Yeah. So. Yeah. But that was four years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think your talk today is really long overdue. Yeah. And I like to bring one thing I never shared within the department yet, mm -hmm. uh, which is one open house two years ago. We have recruited uh, for high school students coming in, and I was doing a creative workshop, right? And uh, one of the students, when they sorry several, when they left, I do this kind of uh, very quick interview, yep. saying, "Are you impressed, etc.? Do you like our department?" Well, they say yes, and I ask why. Well, they tell me the reality is boring. 
That's why I like new media. Uh, interesting. So what's your comment on that? And also how we tied up into your content today. Which level of education we should plug it in? Yeah, so sure. Yeah, thank you very sounds much. good. Yeah, yeah, and I did put I put uh, that uh, pipe aluminum foil over my camera because I can't stand the idea of a camera watching me 100%. It's just stupid uh, there. And uh, just speaking to that, you know, my comments about uh, reality. Uh, I was saying actually to my class the other day that people will say to me, oh, "Okay, you teach 3D visualization you're using virtual reality." So you must be really bored with reality uh, there because you're trying to make everything virtual. And for me, it's actually the opposite. I trained as an artist, and so I was an observer, and I looked at things from odd angles uh, there. But um, it was uh, when I, I tried to duplicate reality, I realized just how hard it is, how complex life is, how complex light falling on grass is, light refracting through water, uh, ripples in, in swimming pools. You just start looking through that microscope and you just realize just how how amazing this is in its detail. When you try to duplicate it, you, you, it's just impossible. So you just have to appreciate that. This monitor right here has a contrast ratio of 1 to 1,000. My eyes is 1 to 1 million. So I can see a hell of a lot more than it can uh, there. And that's one thing that I'm always going to be better at uh, than uh, some of these computers. So there are things about us uh, there. And even just this, this is Facebook. We're just a bunch of friends meeting in a room over and sharing some common uh, ideas through discussion for the purpose of, of, of propelling our society forward. I think that's kind of the highest goals, uh, you know, uh, there. We're going across all age barriers uh, there. And uh, so I think that's, you know, affirming there. There are uses for, uh, say, for instance, I'm in virtual reality, augmented reality. Augmented reality allows you to overlay images onto something so people can see things differently. You can walk around the campus at the university, we're talking about this now, and see traditional grasslands and traditional plants that you wouldn't have been saying, seeing in situ that would have been used by the Kainai people at that time. So that would be a great application uh, for that. Virtual reality, when you actually have that goggle, you actually can exclude the world so that you can focus on something. Now it can be used for bad, and it can be used for good, but luckily my company's using it. Yeah, sure. Hi. Hi, my name is Henning Mundel. Um, part of your response to my wife's question about the Pokemon Go in, the, in our grandson's house, you, you replied about the ownership, basically the space owning the, uh, being owned by the companies, but I, I, it's sort of a bit scary to me. When buying a house, yes, we realize in Alberta, the crown owns under the ground. <laughs> now you're telling us we only own the, the walls and the space is owned. Otherwise, my specific question to you there is though, are the realtors aware of that? Do they tell people that? <laughs> and, and are laws in place for that? Great, great question. Well, the bank owns the walls, so I don't even own any of my house, uh, right? But uh, no, and I found that realtors have a tendency not to tell you when those things are there unless you ask uh, there. So, you know, it, it is the new digital asbestos of our time uh, there. So, yeah. Good question. Nope. Hi, Leonie Jacobs. Thanks, James, Hi. for your talk. Yeah, I think sure. that you dove quite deep um, I always do. Into, into a topic that, even if I'm aware of privacy issues, it was even appalling to me. Good. And so my question is, to what, I mean, Stephen Hawking has come out and said, you know, maybe we need to stop for a minute and take a breath 
to what extent have we lost control of our future? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, well, you know, I mean, it's really interesting to have Stephen Hawking uh, there, you know, in his wheelchair, in his state of incapacity, but with his mind, you know, so powerfully enabled. So I think it's a, a good metaphor for kind of, you know, the shackles that are binding us uh, now. We still have our minds uh, there, but I, I was just looking at a screen capture I did the other night uh, of Stephen Hawking saying, uh, AI is the end of uh, life as we know it. And then next to it, it said, um, plan your retirement in Lethbridge uh, and save money, right? So there's the digital optimism, and then there's Stephen going, it's over, right? So, and, and the thing is, you know, thank God for people like Stephen. Uh, they're often those people, and I side with uh, those people. My uh, thinking about, um, about pessimists is that those people, at some point in their life, probably were diehard optimists who died at some point because things became overwhelming. And so, you know, I, I, uh, I think that you can really fight uh, against these things. And I just think awareness uh, is, is one. And people like you in the library, you know, are uh, today. So I fought for you guys. I'll just tell you in, in closing here, kind of interesting story, which was that uh, they wanted to do a digital commons at the university. So they wanted to go and, sorry, they, the powers, the, and so they wanted to go and sort of take uh, part of the, the, uh, the books, get rid of 50% of those books, make it a kind of virtual space where kids would sit and use their laptops to access databases that actually had been scanned from the library themselves, and that librarians would be uh, sort of, uh, these people with library science degrees would suddenly become kind of tour guides for the digital that had been the actual. And my point was two things. One is the serendipity of, of learning there, being able to go to a bookshelf and find that book next to you that you didn't know uh, was there. And two was universities are contextual databases of knowledge. So if Brian Kolb has been there and he's been teaching people for 40 years uh, in terms of neuroscience uh, there, those people have gone off and uh, taught. He's amassed a collection of books there that actually is a knowledge, a contextual base of knowledge that hasn't been duplicated any other place. And so that was my point, was you can't just go and say 50% here, get rid of that. You're, you, it's, it's knowledge and it's based, connected with people. Well, Carrie? have your experience uh, been expanded? Oh, may, okay. I, may I ask one final question? I can be sure. really quick. Sure. Yeah? Sir, Yeah. what two actions can we take today to protect our privacy? I heard one from Lance, which is put a sticker over our cameras. Yeah. What are two others? Okay. Well, one I would tell uh, Trudeau, uh, who um, uh, you know is he's a big fan of digital media, as are uh, people from his age uh, down more and more so. Uh, I would tell him to uh, stand back from the uh, negotiations that he's making. I noticed that when, and it may have just been a strategic. Uh, effort on his part, but when he was meeting for the TPP, the Trans-Pacific uh, Agreement there, uh, he um, left the meeting, or he didn't go to the meeting, and he met with the head of Facebook instead. And to me, that really put Facebook on the level of international government organizations, which I think is pathetic uh, there that you're going to do that. He may have done it strategically to just say, I'd rather talk to Facebook than you guys, and it did seem to work, but at the same time, 
you know, he's, he, he, the thing is they bought in huge into uh, artificial intelligence. One billion dollars is being invested in Ottawa and uh, the Toronto Horseshoe. But partly the reason they're doing that is that if they don't, those people are going to go to the States and they're going to work there. So places like the University of Waterloo, they're involved in AI. AI is going to do some really great things, but the problem is even the people making AI say that uh, they're a problem. So, yeah. What are we telling Trudeau? Uh, what are, sorry, what are we telling Trudeau? We're just saying stand back from this stuff. Uh, it's not a panacea uh, there. And, uh, you know, and don't make it. Yeah, so sorry. <laughs> and so the second one, uh, I think, would be uh, coming back to what I was saying was really just meetings like this have got to be the greatest things uh, here. You know, is that it's great for me to talk to students, and then it's great to actually uh, see people your ages who are coming here because you're just so absolutely buried in knowledge and, and still trying to uh, be as active as possible, and you're concerned about the world and uh, you want to help. So I don't have all the answers. I hope some of it has helped too. Please, yeah. And, and, and if you don't know how to lock it down, talk to Annalise, that's her business. Yeah, and the, sorry, the last thing I'm going to say is that's a great example of how social network really works, is I say something, she stands up, she says something, you can do this digitally, right? Uh, or you can do it in a room uh, there. But yeah, if you're using Chrome, go set the incognito setting there, and then it will only uh, watch half of what you're doing. Okay, let's thank uh, James Graham. Thank you.